The Baptist Bible Hour now comes to you under the direction of Elder LeSere Bradley, Jr., pastor of the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His This is LeSere Bradley, Jr., speaking to you from the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church and inviting you to stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace. Today we complete 42 years of broadcasting, and we're bringing you a special anniversary program. Our theme this year is A Call to Excel. In 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul expressed his concern that the Lord's people would abound more and more. We're living in a time when many people are discouraged. Others are apathetic, and some have become cynical. Society continues on a downward path. Corruption and violence are a plague throughout the world. Even among professed Christians, it is felt that if we can just hang in there and survive these difficult times, we've done well. But the apostle lived in a wicked time, and the churches to which he wrote were in pagan cities. Yet he called on the followers of Christ to excel in their Christian walk. They were not to be satisfied with the status quo. They were to do better than they had been doing. They were to go beyond. They were to excel. Today is a time for those who have been sleeping to awaken. It's a time for those that have been at ease in Zion to be stirred. It's a time for those who have been thinking only of survival to commit themselves to excellence in the Lord's service. Number 530 in the old school hymnal expresses this sentiment. The hymn writer speaks of more holiness, more strivings, more patience, more faith, more purpose, more hope, more purity, more strength, in essence, to be more like the Savior. May this be our prayer today. In order to abound and excel in serving the Lord, some must be called to return. In a series of messages this past year on drifting, 
we've pointed out that it is possible to move in the wrong direction without even realizing it. I gave as an illustration what it was like when my father would take me to the Kentucky River when I was a child. We'd be out swimming, and he'd say, I want you to stay right here in front of me. And before we would realize it, the current would pull us downstream. And he'd be calling, come on back, boys, come on back. And it was always kind of a puzzle to us as young children. What happens anyway? Here we are swimming, and before we know it, we're downstream. And so in those messages, we made further reference to this as a part of our experience. What about you today? Somebody might say, why, great, everything's fine with me, preacher. Everything's fine. Have you looked back on the bank recently? Is the father standing on the shore saying, come on back, boys. Come on back. How is it? Are you as intensely interested in the Word of God today as you were when it first touched your heart? Is the gospel of God's grace as sweet and rich and meaningful to you as it once was? Have you drifted? Are you drifting far today? The Father says, come back. In another part of that series, we looked at things which encourage us to return when we have drifted and to be sure that we not neglect this great salvation. Aren't the promises of God wonderful in our days of adversity, in our times of darkness, in our times of discouragement to know God has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, that we might boldly say the Lord is our helper. Aren't you glad that you're not left alone? Aren't you glad that when the burdens are heavy? Aren't you glad when the night is dark that you're not left there to struggle, that God has given you a promise? Oh, how great, how great are those promises. And it ultimately involves a great inheritance. How shall we then escape if we neglect so great salvation? This salvation's great. The Savior is great. The work that he did is great. The promises are great. The inheritance is great. How can you neglect it? How can you forget about it? How can you fail to think about it? How can you fail to meditate upon it? How can you fail to implement the provisions and blessings of it in your life? How shall we escape if you neglect so great salvation? We also considered the call to stand fast in a series of messages on striving together. To stand fast. You need to be established in the faith, established in the truth, understand what God's Word says, know what's right, and stand there. Somebody criticizes you, you stand there anyway. Somebody says, you're not going to get the promotion in this company if you don't make a compromise. You say, I can do without the promotion. You say, you're going to lose your job. I can do without the job. God gave me this job, and if he wants me to have another, he'll give me that job when I need it. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to compromise. Young person said, well, if I don't make some compromise, I'm going to lose some of my friends. You can do without those friends. You're going to stand. Stand. See, we're getting to the place today that you're going to appreciate what New Testament Christianity was all about. This call to stand, to strive together, indicates there is to be great intensity and effort in our service. Indeed, it is a call to excel. Say, well, I didn't think we were supposed to agonize. I thought we were just supposed to be comforted. Well, there is a comfort in knowing something about the grace of God, but if we have the right response in Christian service, we're going to see as a servant we are to agonize over our desire to labor for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It should be a great burning desire in our heart to declare the good news and to pray for his servants as they go abroad preaching the gospel that God may bless it to the comfort of his people and to the honor and praise of our Savior Jesus Christ. Striving. In a message entitled Blowing the Trumpet, we issued a call to excel in our efforts to share the good news of the gospel with others. These people were obviously making a concentrated effort if they were sounding the trumpet not to keep what they had a secret. They weren't ashamed of it. They were letting other people know. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Since we're called upon to abound more and more, then the thought of accepting a declining state in Zion must be rejected, as we further indicated in that message. I've had ministers say to me, Elder Bradley, you're on the wrong track. The day of blessing for the church is behind us. This is the Laodicean age, and all we can do is stand around and bury the churches as they die. I don't believe that. I don't find anywhere where the Lord says the time has come to wave the white flag of surrender and say Satan whipped us. I believe the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just as able to pour out a great measure of blessing and stir the minds and hearts of people and send spiritual revival to his church today as he's ever been. Now, it's not going to come about by the pragmatic attitude of just whatever draws a crowd, let's do it. Let's alter our doctrine. Let's compromise our faith. We're not talking about that. We're talking about zealously continuing to contend for the principles of the Word of God, but not having an indifferent, complacent attitude about it, but blowing the trumpet, sounding the gospel trumpet. If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Let's make a clear, distinct sound by the way we live and by the message we proclaim. Another message was on the open door. I read from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul set the example by striving always to excel in his labor to circulate the gospel. We referred to his response to the vision of the man of Macedonia crying, Come over and help us. Now, what was Paul's response when he received this vision, when he heard the man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us? Did Paul say, you're going to have to give this a lot of consideration. How did he respond? He says, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. A great door for an effective work was open, and he seized the opportunity. Oh, may that be our response today. On that same program, I spoke with two of our ministers who had recently been to the Philippines preaching the gospel of Christ. The first is Elder Jeff Harris from near Tifton, Georgia. Well, Brother Bradley, I've been in contact uh, through the mail with several of the brethren uh, in the Philippines for nearly a year now. And last November, I was delighted when I read a uh, letter by two of the minister brethren there that asked uh, to be discipled uh, further into the doctrines that we espouse. How were you received then by the people when you got over there? We were warmly received. Uh, it was such a delight to come into the airport in Davao City 
and see all these banners and uh, signs welcoming us to, to their city. And they put placed uh, garlands around our neck and, and just began to sing Amazing Grace. Well, it's certainly encouraging, Elder Harris, to hear some of the details of your trip. We've gotten just a little static on the line, so we want to go ahead and talk now to Elder Norval Mann, who accompanied Elder Harris on this trip. Elder Mann, what stirred your interest in making this trip to the Philippines? Well, Brother Bradley, uh, I have felt for a long time that there was uh, an urgency in preaching the gospel, and when I began to hear the news that Elder Jeff Harris was in correspondence with some people in the Philippines, he shared some letters with me. And upon reading these letters, I was very uh, stirred. We've been talking to Elder Jeff Harris, an Elder Norval man, and we hope that you will be praying that the Lord will bless the brethren that are continuing to minister there in the Philippines and pray for this effort as we reach the area also with this broadcast. I want to pause now in this 42nd anniversary broadcast and encourage you to write us. This is our letter writing month and we look forward to hearing from all of our listeners at this time. I hope that you will mention the call letters of the station over which the program comes to you. We take a survey during this month, and it helps us determine which stations will continue to carry the broadcast in the days ahead. We have prepared a special two-part tape to send to all that write us during this month. The theme of this program is A Call to Excel, and we have a message by that title which we will send to you. It's based on the text in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. The apostle was making it clear that we're not to have this attitude that we're just hanging on. We're to do better than we have been doing. We are to surpass. We are to go beyond. There is to be an excess. We are to excel in the service of God. So we would like very much to send you this two-part message. It'll come on two cassette tapes. And we'll send that to all who write us during this month. Our address is the Baptist Bible Hour, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45217. I want now to share a portion of the message you'll be receiving when you write us. In the classrooms of America today, the outcome-based education that is taking over in many areas carries with it the thought that there need be no concern about excelling. It's not a question of learning how to read and write and to do mathematics and be confined to those things that have right and wrong answers. We wouldn't want the child to be disturbed by the thought that he was wrong. He just has a different opinion. He just approaches things differently. We're not concerned about him excelling. We're concerned about him having the right self-image. We want him to feel good about his work. The work may be terrible, it may be inaccurate, but we sure want him to feel good about it nevertheless. And so with this kind of training starting out at an early age, we see more and more of it in the thinking that is permeating every aspect of our society today.
In the text of that message, Paul says that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. That walk involves every part of our life. Certainly the marital relationship is one of tremendous importance, and God's people ought to seek to excel there in making their marriage what it ought to be to the honor of Jesus Christ. The husband has a leadership role, a place of authority, and the wife is to be submissive to that authority. Many women wonder today why they're frustrated out of their minds and they're not happy in their life because they have not recognized what God says on this significant matter. They want to run their own life. They want to run their own marriage. They want to be in control. They want to be in a leadership position. And God says that's not the position they occupy. They're not inferior. They're not slaves. They're not to be mistreated. As a matter of fact, if a wife is being treated as she ought to be treated by a godly husband, she is in the most desirable position one could ever hope for because she's going to be treated and loved even as Christ also loved the church. As always, there was an emphasis in our preaching on the sovereignty of God throughout the year. In a message entitled, My Times Are in Thy Hand, we showed that understanding this truth will have a significant influence on how we view life. And then furthermore, it gives confidence and encourages obedience. So if, if you believe your times are in the Lord's hands, you're resting in Him, it'll give you confidence to face the trials, to face the enemies, to face the obstacles, instead of being overwhelmed by them, instead of being so discouraged and so depressed that you can't go on, you say, I just can't bear to get up in the morning, I can't bear to face the trials of the day, I don't know what's going to happen, I don't know what's going to happen to me, I don't know what's going to happen if I lose my job, I don't know what's going to happen if I don't have enough money to pay my bills, I don't know what's going to happen if I get sick, I'm worried, I'm fretted, I'm disturbed, you come back Back to this principle, my times are in thy hands. Further in that message, we said, well, when you look at the trend in America today, when you see the opposition that there is to Christianity, the opposition there is to the Word of God, the opposition that there is to the moral principles that are contained in God's Word, would you not be stricken with fear? Would you not be ready to run, if you could find some place to run to, some, some place to escape? But when you come back to realize, my times are in thy hand. God is still on the throne. God is still sovereign. Our confidence is in him. And no matter what threats, what opposition, what persecution, what imprisonment might be faced, even death itself, that with confidence in this truth, my times are in thy hand, we have a totally different outlook. This truth of sovereignty not only gives us comfort, it inspires us to faithful service. It is a call to excel. Do you believe the practical aspect of this truth today? See, this, if properly understood, does not generate a slothful, I don't care attitude. It inspires commitment and zealous service. Because you can see that God is on your side and no matter what the obstacles and no matter what the present setbacks and no matter what the enemies might be and what the persecutions you might encounter, the Lord's going to see you through that in his own way. In another message, we considered a call to a closer walk with the Savior, which we referred to as companionship with Jesus. How is it in our own walk from day to day? 
Are we demonstrating that which would prove our relationship with Jesus Christ, our companionship with Him? Is there evidence of it? I believe it's important for us to be sound in the faith. I try over and over again to come back to the basic principles and emphasize the things that we love and treasure here in this church, the things that we believe that the Word of God teaches regarding the sovereignty of God, regarding the great purposes of salvation by grace, according to the fact that God made choice of a people and elected them in the covenant before the world began, the successful work of Jesus Christ in redeeming His people by His own precious blood, I like to continually point out the fact that it is the call of the Spirit that draws men to Jesus Christ. That that call is effectual. These wonderful truths must be continually set forth. But I know that as we leave this place and you live in front of your neighbors, that the real testimony to the glory of Christ is not going to be given so much on the basis of what you understand and the doctrine you hold as it is on the way you live, the way you conduct yourself. There is no way to excel in our walk and in our labor in the kingdom of God unless we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and commune with Him on a daily basis. Makes a difference. Why could they have this kind of confidence? Why, why could they feel that it was going to be adequate to pray and to seek God in this time? Because they were companions of Jesus. Their enemies said they'd been with Jesus. They saw their boldness and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. May it be our prayers we go from this place that as parents live before their children, the children may be able to sense. My parents walk with Jesus. That as we go into the workplace, people we work with may be able to sense we're walking with Jesus. That's the greatest need of the hour. A lot of other things connected with that. A lot of other things God's people need to know and need to do. But there's not anything more important than daily companionship with Jesus Christ. The messages we brought on the model prayer was a call to excel in our prayer life. Kill the fatted calf, bring out the robe, put it on his back, put my ring on his finger. My son is back. What a happy, joyous event this was. He was the father's son before he left home. He was the father's son while he was away from home. He was the father's son when he was on his way back. He was the father's son when he was sitting at the table and there was great feasting. He was the father's son. Aren't you glad that you're able to pray our Father which art in heaven? Have you taken a few little trips in your life? There have been some times that you've wandered from home. You turned your back on what you'd been taught. You turned your back on the principles of the Word of God. But if you're a child of God, you were his child while you were away. And you're his child in that you've come back. I might even be talking to somebody who hasn't come back. 
somebody who's still far away. And they wonder, can I come back? Is he really my father? Does he care about me? Will he forgive me? Will he cleanse me? These are the words of Jesus. When you pray, pray our Father, which art in heaven. Provides great comfort to know that we're not talking to a monarch who doesn't care. To a king who's too far beyond us. To a ruthless ruler who has no love. We're told to pray to our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Let us remember that in spite of the fact that there is much evil and unrest in the world, the sovereign God of heaven and earth still reigns, and he is our Father. In spite of the fact that the love of many has grown cold, and a spirit of apathy plagues even the church. It is still possible to respond to the apostles' call to excel. We lack the strength in ourselves, but we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. We must always remember Christ is our strength, and he is precious. Jesus Christ is precious because he gives us light. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The night time can seem to be a time that's full of such anxiety. If you've ever been extremely sick at night and you thought, if I could just make it till morning, somehow it's going to be better. The night drags on. In the midst of your adversities, your heartaches, you say, well, the night never ends. How dark it is. How troubled the way. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is described as being the bright and morning star. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning, because surely the morning star is ultimately seen, and after a while the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. And all the shades of night have passed on. And we see Jesus by faith in all of his brilliance and brightness. He gives life. He gives light. He gives love. If we have acknowledged Jesus Christ as our Lord, it is our strongest desire to be submissive to him and excel in serving him. Are you like Saul on the road to Damascus? This proud, self-righteous Pharisee who had gone his own way, opposing Jesus Christ and his church, despising his gospel. But when the Lord struck him down, his response was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now Jesus Christ, who had not been appreciated, who had not been esteemed by the apostle, was esteemed above all else. And Paul said later, I count all things but loss that I might win Christ. Nothing else matters in comparison. Is Jesus Christ precious to you? Today we have brought you our 42nd anniversary broadcast. 
We feel thankful that the Lord has given us this opportunity to preach the gospel of grace to so many people across the country and around the world through these years. This is our letter-writing month, and so I urge you to write us and mention the call letters of the station over which the program comes to you. The theme of this program has been a call to excel. Now, we will send you a message, two parts, coming on two cassette tapes by this title. We send this to all who write during this anniversary month. So be sure to get your letter to us this week that we can send you this complete message, A Call to Excel. The announcer will give you the address in just a few moments, and until next week at this same time, may the Lord richly bless you all. Baptist Bible Hour has come to you under the direction of Elder LeSayer Bradley, Jr., pastor of the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church. Address all mail to the Baptist Bible Hour, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45217. That's the Baptist Bible Hour, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45217.